Amen. Good morning, you guys. Move my table. Got to move it back. Sorry about that. Welcome to the 1002 showing of River Rock Bible Church. Please take this time to silence all your cell phones. We've been here for three months in this movie theater now, and I've been waiting to get up front to make that joke. So if you're like, oh, man, this is corny. Like, yeah, I've been thinking about this for three months. So Um, for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Mason. Uh, I am the college director here at River Rock. So I lead the college kids. So if you see young 18 to 20-somethings running around acting a fool, let me know because they should be behaving better than that. Um, Also, uh, I'm in the residency program here at River Rock Bible Church with uh, another man, one of our elders, J.T. Liner. And uh, Charlie has uh, done a great job in educating us and uh, training us to go off and work in ministry, whether that's as a college director or as a church planter, associate pastor, uh, anything I want to do with that. So he's graciously given J.T. and I opportunities to preach this year. Uh, which we're both very thankful for, and I'm glad to, to get the opportunity to share with you guys today. But before I get started, before I jump in, um, he told me not to make a big deal out of this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so Stephen Galan and Jared Bush both have birthdays today. So we're not going to sing happy birthday or anything, because not about that. But um, if y'all see them on your way out, give them a handshake, give them a hug, um, Sing happy birthday to him. I know Stephen particularly loves when people make a big deal out of his birthday. So um, if y'all feel compelled to do that, that'd be awesome. Okay, so we're going to dive in now, get a little more serious. Uh, For those of y'all that have been with us, you know we've been doing a series called Seven. And and we're basically going through uh, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And that said, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. So uh, the last couple weeks, uh, several people here at church have taken us through uh, the first five of these. So now uh, for those of y'all maybe visiting us for the first time, I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. They're on our website. Um, Really, really great stuff. And today I'm going to be talking about the sixth one, which is a lying witness who gives false testimony. And so um, I I struggled a lot with this one um, because there's so many things that this particular verse could mean. Um, It could mean a lying witness against a believer, a lying witness against Christ, or a lying witness just against uh, anybody and giving false testimony against anybody. Um, but before I kind of dive into what that means, I want to let you guys know this, this is a very, very important thing um, that, that God dislikes. Uh, it's so important that in Exodus 20, verse 16, uh, it's actually listed. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with where this passage is, it's actually the ninth of the Ten Commandments. And so um, very, very, very important to God. Um, important enough to where he had Moses uh, bring it down and, and share it with people. So um, this is something that I know I, for one, have struggled with, uh, and I imagine a lot of you out there have struggled with as well. So like I said, there's many ways that this could go. There's many different uh, variations of what we could see here. So I did my best uh, Charlie Turner impression. Um, I used my residency knowledge that I've gained and I actually looked up the Hebrew uh, for this text, um, and uh, the Hebrew for it is shaker ed. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, 
Chuck will uh, pat me on the back later and say, hey, here's how you pronounce it, because he's very, very good at, at languages. But um, it means uh, to cause a rift. So uh, it, it's not a false testimony against God. It is a false testimony against a person. Uh, and it means to, to share lies about someone else, and in doing so, that causes a rift. Uh, so I don't know about any of you guys, but I've had a lot of times in my life where uh, I have not been truthful with people, and it has caused a rift. And so I'm going to give you one example from my childhood to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and let you guys get to know me a little bit better. But when I was in high school, uh, I would get grounded all the time because I was not very good at listening to what my parents had to tell me. So uh, most of the time, we had like a curfew for our cell phones, right? So it's like, all right, 10 o'clock, your phone's got to be downstairs charging. This is like just when texting became like a huge thing and people were all over social media and everything. So like you can't take your phone upstairs with you. You got to leave it downstairs plugged in. And for whatever reason, I heard you can take your phone and hide it under your pillow. And as long as it's back downstairs, by the time they get up in the morning, you're good to go. So that's what I heard. But apparently there was some disagreement there because I was grounded for my phone a lot. Um, and when I was in high school, I had a, a girlfriend that I would love to text all the time and interact with. And so one time, in particular, when I was grounded, I went downstairs. My parents had gone to bed. I kind of did a couple looks over my shoulder, went up and listened to their bedroom door, and I heard my dad snoring. I was like, awesome. We're good to go. Uh, so I ran, grabbed my phone, start texting my girlfriend, and all of a sudden, like, there's really old wooden floors in the house that I grew up in. Uh, and I hear just this creaking, like this little footsteps. I'm like, oh no. So like, I delete the text messages I had sent and received and threw my phone back on the charger and just like stood there and act like I was watching, walking to the kitchen. So my mom comes around the corner, hey, what are you doing? Nothing, just, just, getting, a, just getting a snack, nothing. Um, okay, well, it's really late. Like you should be going to bed. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a snack. I'm, I'm going to go to bed. Okay, well, um, you weren't touching your phone, were you? Oh no, no, me? No, never do that. No, never touch my phone, ever. No, no, I'm grounded. I, I know better. She's like, okay, well, well, let's just check and see. And me, being the slick 16-year-old that I was, I was like, okay, there's no way that she's going to be able to tell that I deleted text messages. So she grabs the phone, looks through, she's like, huh, no new text messages, all right. And then the unthinkable happens. I get a text message from my girlfriend that is so out of context of anything that it is almost impossible to deny that I deleted text messages beforehand. So my mom's like, huh, what's this? And I was like, I, I, I don't have, I have no idea. She's being weird, I guess. And so my mom was like, all right, well, you can either tell me right now that you were sending text messages when you're grounded from your phone, and it'll be much better for you, or we have AT&T, so I can go online and read your text transcript. So it's your choice. Um, and I was smart in the moment and said, you know what? I'm sorry. I deleted text messages, and... Uh, I was grounded for several more weeks after that. But the moral of the story there, folks, is when you lie, when you give uh, a false witness, so me lying to my mom was, was me giving a false witness, um, it causes a rift, it causes disunity. So not only was my mom mad at me and disappointed, and there was a rift there, but um, I don't know if any of you have inter inter ever interacted with 16-year-old girls. Um, my girlfriend was not well pleased that I was grounded from my phone for the next uh, th three weeks. So uh, not a very, very good idea there. So uh, the biggest thing I want to take away from uh, the verse in Proverbs, the lying witness that gives false testimony, 
is if God dislikes a rift in disunity, that must mean that God wants us to be unified. Right? So God wants us to be unified. Um, and so that can mean a lot of things. Again, as I was progressing through this message, uh, a lot of things stood out to, to what that could mean. So we're going to jump into some scripture here. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to spend a couple minutes here, um, starting in verse 19. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, he is opener for us through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, so... uh, Anybody who has their Bible pulled up or is looking on the screen, uh, what does verse 19 uh, say for me? Does anyone want to read that out loud for me? I will volunteer. All right, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. So uh, the first way in which we're unified, which is kind of, kind of, you'll see it seep through the rest of the message here. Uh, is that we are unified in our love and following of Jesus Christ. So our relationship with Jesus Christ unifies us as Christians. So uh, another example of Pastor Charlie, he's not really a big soccer guy. He loves baseball, huge baseball fan. Um, I love soccer. Like I stayed up last night way later than I should watching a game that went into penalty kicks because I'm just infatuated with it. Um, Charlie and I disagree heavily on which sport is more difficult to play, which sport is more fun to watch. Um, so there's, there's disunity there in that. But at the end of the day, I know for a fact that Charlie and I have the most important thing in common because we believe in Jesus Christ. So that's the first way I wanted, want you to see you got how we're all unified together is if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have that unity. Um, but I want to leave you guys with some practical things as well. So if you keep reading in that section in Hebrews, um, if you go to verses 24 and 25, um, it, uh, it lets us know that uh, it says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. So practically for us, we become unified by meeting together, and encouraging one another. So this, this looks very, very different um, for uh, different believers. This looks very, very different daily and weekly. But uh, like Stephen said up here when he was leading us through that time of prayer, uh, Sunday morning, just because we're in the South and you uh, are expected to go to church, Sunday morning Uh, should not be a thing where we're just doing it out of habit. We shouldn't just be coming to church on Sunday morning habitually. Um, The whole reason we come to church is not to hear a message. It's not to sing songs. It's it's not even to, uh, to, you know, uh, show off your new outfit that you got at Kohl's over the weekend for $15, because what a deal. Um, But the reason we all come to church is to be in community with one another. Like, we are the body of Christ. We, we build each other up. Um, we've had messages before where, where Charlie's preached about, you know, sometimes he walks into the building, or Stephen said this as well, and he sees somebody, and he needed to see that person that day at church. He needed to see that person and be reminded of the love of Christ and, and the constant nature of God and 
Um, I want us all to, to realize that. So that's what community looks like. And in practical terms, that looks like Sunday mornings. It looks like finding an area of service because uh, like Stephen said, uh, we're not asking you to serve because we want you to fulfill a need. Like we want you to be fulfilled by that need. Uh, and I can tell you, serving at this church for several years, it's been an amazing time of growth, and it's been an amazing level of community with my fellow people that I serve with. Uh, and then it also looks like small groups during the week. So we'll, we'll get to talk a little bit more about small groups here a little bit later, but if you are not a part of a small group, please, I encourage you, check that box on your connection card. Um, we say all the time here at River Rock, life happens in circles, not in rows. So Sunday morning, you will not be known and supported enough if you just come here on Sundays. Please, please, please get plugged into a small group. Um, so that, that's kind of the, the big takeaway for, for how we become unified together. So we're unified as believers, and then we become unified by meeting together and encouraging one another. So uh, I, I walk, walk you guys through the house, and so I want you all to understand why, because I don't know um, if you guys have ever been in the public education system here in Texas, but there's a lot of how you do things and not a lot of why you do things that are taught in school. When I was in school, that irritated me to no end, because I am a very, very reasons-driven person. Okay, well, do this math problem. Why? I don't know. Just do it. Okay, well, am I, I going to use this in the rest of my life? Well, I don't know. Just do it, right? So uh, I, I know that if you're anything like me, you want to know why. And I know for a fact when I hear things and I understand why, they, they tend to stick a little bit better. So uh, the first reason we should be unified is because we should be unified as our Father in heaven is unified. Uh, so I'm going to read a, a section of scripture here out of John 17, uh, verses 22, 23, if you guys want to flip there. Uh, so this is Jesus in the garden before he's being sent to, crucify, to be crucified. So Jesus is alone in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying to the Father, um, and this is one of the things that he, he lifts up. So he says, I have given them the glory you have given me. May there be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. So... When Jesus is talking to the Father, he's not talking to him as somebody that's disconnected. He's not talking to him as an employee-boss relationship. He's not talking to him um, where he's putting God on this kind of uh, pedestal higher than himself. Like, he very clearly says, um, may they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have, have loved me. Uh, and then 23 says, I am in them and you are in me, right? So God himself is unified. He created himself in the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One is not greater than the other. Uh, one was not created before the other. They all came into existence at the same time. If you read in John 1, um, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus, right? So Jesus was there when God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. So it's really, really important to understand that we were created to be unified because our Creator is unified. And so uh, th this is how we avoid a lot of struggles and conflict. If you remember, like, we have to be truthful and unified because we were created to be unified and truthful because our creator is as well. All right, so the second reason is we should be unified because it is the only way to achieve God's goal. 
right? We should be unified because it's the only way to achieve God's goal. So here at River Rock, we talk a lot about discipleship. Uh, and what discipleship means is sharing your faith with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. That's the evangelism portion of discipleship. And then once that person has a relationship with Christ, it's nurturing them and mentoring them to the point to where they can then in turn know their faith and know Jesus and have a relationship strong enough to where they can share that faith with somebody else. And so here at River Rock, we're really, really, really big on discipleship. You heard during our prayer time, share, connect, minister, disciple. That is our goal here as a church at River Rock. And so we become unified um, because that's the only way to achieve God's goal. So I don't know how many of you have played sports before. Raise your hand if you've, if you've been on a sports team or in a band, something like that, where you've had to work together with a lot of people. So I'm going to use a soccer analogy because that's what I know best. Um, but if I want to score a goal, right? If, I'm, if I have the ball at my feet and I want to score a goal, there's 11 players in my way to get to that goal. Am I going to be able to do it on my own? Probably not. I don't know. If you guys said yes, you've probably never seen me play soccer before. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. I, I have to have the help of my teammates, but there's a little caveat in there. So if my goal is for the team to score a goal, but my teammates' goal is for us to clear the ball up and play defense, are we going to accomplish either goal? No. We're probably going to give the ball away. They're going to dribble back in and score on us. So it is very, very important as a team, and your coaches probably – preach this to you over and over and over again when you were a kid is, hey, we have to play as a team. The team comes before the individual. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? There's a little saying about that. It rhymes. I like rhyming words, so I remembered it pretty well. So uh, we, we have to be unified because that's God's goal for us, to make disciples to, so that every nation, every tribe will come to know the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ, and that's why we're here on this earth. All right, so finally... Uh, the last reason is we should be unified because that's how we show Christ's love to one another and to the world. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but if, if I'm in an argument, let's say, let's say Dirt and I are in an argument, right? So if Dirt and I are, are arguing, you know, shooting each other like really passive-aggressive texts, like, fine, have it your way, cool. All right then, fine. Yeah, like if we're arguing with one another, is it going to be easy for me to show love to someone else if I'm already in that spirit of dissension and that spirit of disunity? Probably not. Like, you know the, those people that they get really, really mad in traffic and honk at you and blow their horn? Like, that's probably the end to their bad day. Is every, every time I try and think that, I'm like, man, Jesus, please give me grace and, and please let me understand that they're probably having a really, really bad day. Uh, and a reason that we can help each other not have those bad moments and not be in that spirit of dissension and disunity is, is by encouraging each other and building each other up like we talked about earlier. Um, and that's how we show Christ's love. You know, it's, it's okay to be frustrated at things. It's okay to be um, angry. It's, a, it's okay even to, to question things. But um, when we turn that anger against each other, that causes disunity and that's displeasing to God. And so if we want to, as Christians, show the world how we love not only each other, but everybody else, um, we, we need to focus on that uh, a lot. And so uh, I want to point us to uh, a couple months back, we did a series through the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians. And so I want to point us to some scripture from 1 Corinthians 1. So this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth about 
um, some of the stuff he's been hearing about their church and a lot of the dissensions that have been going on. So starting in verse 11, it says, For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this. Each of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Was it Paul who was crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? So to provide a little bit of context for this, so all of these people in Corinth have put their trust in different people that have kind of discipled them and ushered them and led them to Christ. So there's Cephas, there's Apollos, there's Paul, and then finally, most importantly, there's Christ. And so Paul is basically saying like, hey, was it Cephas who saved you? Was it Apollos who saved you? Was it Paul? Was it myself that saved you? Um, or was it Christ? And then he goes on later to say, um, I'm glad that I only baptized a couple of you because if I would have baptized all of you, I have no idea what would be happening right now. Like you guys will probably be, be praising me instead of praising God. And so the application for this for, for all of us today is how many times do we as Christians look at somebody and say, man, they would be such a great asset to our church and such a great Christian if only they stopped partying. If only they were sexually moral. If only they stopped lying to their spouse, right? How many times do we have that but in there, right? The, the, the thing that stops us from sharing the gospel and the thing that we think we need to share with them first. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give you guys a story here, and um, I'm proud to say that this is a story about the pastor of our church, and um, if you guys have never had a conversation with Charlie, please uh, get to know him. He's such a great, loving guy. He's got such a good character, uh, and he, he, he teaches us all a valuable lesson in this story. So um, he's friends, and this is going to come as a shock to some of you people, but um, it, it's true. He is very, very good friends with a couple people that he's met. Um, it, it is a gay couple that lives here in Georgetown. And they go, and they'll get coffee. They'll hang out. Um, I believe he's invited them over to his house a couple times for, for a meal. Um, and so as it often does when you have a Christian pastor hanging out with an openly uh, homosexual couple, the topic comes up of, hey, pastor, what do you think about my lifestyle? You're a Christian. What do you yourself think about my lifestyle? Because you haven't brought it up yet. And so to Charlie's credit, um, he looked at them. And the biggest first thing that I want you guys to notice is that he did not sugarcoat it. And he did not lie to them about what he believed. So he said to them, guys, I'm being honest with you. I believe in Jesus Christ is the only way to get into heaven. I believe that every word in this Bible is true. And if I believe that the word of God... I believe that homosexuality is a sin. And I want to I wanna acknowledge that and tell you guys the truth. However, if I start there with you, if I start there by trying to correct your sin in your life, you could look at me and in a couple months say, hey, you know what, Charlie, you're right. We're, we're, we're not going to live this way anymore. We're, we're going to not date each other. We're going to break it off and we're, and we're not going to be, we're not going to live in homosexuality anymore but you still don't know Jesus, right? You're, you might have put a fire extinguisher on the sin and doused the sin, but you still don't know Jesus. So if I as a pastor start there, or I as a Christian rather start there, then I'm missing the point. I want you to believe in Jesus first and foremost. 
and I want you to, to have a relationship with Christ, and I want you to have that unity with me, and then after that happens, we'll address the rest of your life. So how many times in our lives, I know I've done this, where um, there have been with college students, I, I'm the college director here at River Rock, the number one thing college students struggle with is underage drinking, right? And that, that's a sin that I, for whatever reason, out of all the sins out there, that's the one that I'm like, man, I really, really dislike that sin. And so a lot of times, um, you can ask my fellow college leaders, I'll be like, man, so-and-so went out partying last night and got blackout drunk. I saw all over their Snapchat story, I'm so mad, I want to call them out on it. And they got to uh, point back, and in the words of Elijah Timms, hold on now, play, you got too much dip on your chip. Like, you need to take a step back and reevaluate. Um, and so I, I, t- I take a step back a little bit and, and evaluate. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like, you know, they might not have a good relationship with Christ, or it may be one of my guys that doesn't know Jesus. And if I'm to start there and tell him everything he's doing wrong with his life, how am I then going to turn around and say, hey, I love you unconditionally enough to love you through this sin? It's not going to work like that. You can't start there, right? So um, I want us all to see today that you have to put first things first, right? Have to put, so if we are to be unified, we must put first things first. Uh, and I know there's several examples of this uh, in our everyday lives, right? So um, how many of you guys are aware that in November 2020, there's a huge election coming up? Anybody? Anybody here? I've been circling the calendar. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Um, but we cannot go to a non-believer and say, hey, you voted for the Republican candidate. You need to understand that that's wrong, and then I can share Jesus with you. Or, hey, you voted for the Democratic candidate. I need you to understand that that is wrong before I share Jesus with you. Or how many times uh, do we even go to our fellow believers in, in, in uh, different denominations than we are? Hey, you're a Catholic and you use wine for communion. I'm a Baptist and we don't do that. Like, no, no way, Jose. Like, you need to fix that before you share Jesus with people. Or uh, you don't use instruments at your church, and we do. That's wrong. But I'm, I'm here to tell you guys today, and hopefully you guys have known this, and if, if you hear nothing else from me today, you'll hear this, that we cannot start with what we disagree with with somebody. We have to start with Jesus. That's the foundation. That's what we need to start with. We have to share Christ with them first. And then once you have that relationship, once you earn the right to be heard— you can start saying things to them about what they're struggling with in their life. Uh, and, and so I, I challenge you guys this week, um, if you look on your bulletins on the back, we, we do uh, going deeper questions for either small groups or for you to work through in your quiet times this week. But I challenge you guys, how are you going to show unity this week? How are you going to stop giving false witness and start sharing Christ with people this week, whether they be a fellow believer that you have to show grace to, whether it's a mended relationship with a friend, family member, or coworker, or whether it's someone that you've been trying to share the gospel with for a long time, but they've been struggling with the sins. So you're like, you know what? You know, I really, really want them to work that out first, and then I'll bring Jesus to them. Because Jesus doesn't call us to come to the altar clean. Jesus calls us to come to the altar broken, dirty, uh, hurt, and, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Like, how many people in your life would take you in your most broken state and say, I love you, and I'm going to pay everything for you. Um, and that's the beauty of the cross. That's the beauty of salvation. So I, I encourage you, if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ today, um, 
know that it is not Jesus' will for us to, to attack you and judge you by your sin. It is Jesus' will for us to share the gospel with you. Um, and I want to invite you in hearing that today. I want you to invi- invite you to ask questions uh, to explore what it would look like to, to put your trust in Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm going to pray to close us out here. I'm going to invite the, the band back up. Uh, and we're going to enter into a time of offering. But let's just pray uh, real quick to, to have our heart centered in, into a heart of unity. So Jesus, thank you so much for, for allowing us to come together. Thank you so much for, for this message uh, that you have on, on unity uh, Lord, I pray this week as, as we think to, to slander our coworkers or slander our neighbors that, uh, that we remember the sacrifice that you made and we remember that you first came for us. You came down in flesh to pay our sins um, without us having to do anything, without us even being able to comprehend or deserve it, Lord. So I pray that we show that grace this week. And I pray not only that we have grace, but we have boldness to share your message, your gospel um, with people this week that are unbelievers. And Lord, I pray that if there are any factions we have um, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that we are able to, to rectify those and to go directly to them and, and apologize for, for how we've hurt each other and also hold each other accountable for how we've been hurt too. Uh, Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for this congregation. It's in your name I pray. Amen.